Please turn your Bibles to Exodus 20. So for my, for my young people, you know, you'll hear Pastor Hunter say that a lot. Like, hey, young people, I'm, I'm speaking to you. Because sometimes when we're in different ages, you know, we think that we're only speaking to people my age or people that are older or people in this space and time in life. And he's not speaking to us. And that's why I say that and I'll continue to say it. I, I don't care how old you are. Um, this is a good biblical life lesson that I would love for you to grab onto and then take for the rest of your life. So um, I, I don't, no matter how old you are, I would love for your Bible to be open. I want you to be working, have a pen or a highlighter. I'm going to talk about notes. I didn't want to bother my brother back there, Stoney. He does all of our slides, and I didn't want to bother him this weekend, so we don't really have any slides. So there's going to be times I'm going to tell you to take notes. And so I want you to be active in this. So I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to read Scripture, and then I'm going to pray for our time together. And this is where we are today in our Ten Commandments study. And why is this important? And when I say this, I mean the gathering of God's people weekly. Like, why is this important? And I asked a few people, I asked a, lot, a few young people who, just, you know, who come to church, and I said, why do you think this is important? And, and they answered me in different ways, but for the, for the high might light, it's, it's usually just, well, this is just what good boys and girls do. Like, on Sunday, you go to church, you, you get dressed, you wake up early, and you go. Like, that's what you do, right? Like, Staying at home and watching cartoons and doing something different, that's, that's not what you do. You come to church. But do you know why? Well, because God smiles upon it. I believe he does, but keep digging. Did your parents ever sit with you and go, this is why we do this? This is what the Bible says, not just something that granddad and dad and I, through, through generations, we get up on our Sunday. No, no, no. Do you know what the Bible says about why you come here, why we're doing this this morning? Do you know that? And so one thing that I'm really um, prayerfully in, in touch with is my concern for the future church. And so God, as, as long as we are alive, and does not matter how dark the world gets, God's church will be alive. Now, it might look different, and it might be smaller, but the church will not die out. Amen? But in that, guys, as, as our older generation passes and some of our younger families really struggle with this balance of like faith and life and all of those things and, and all of the, the hardship with raising children and putting God first, and, and that struggle, I, I'm concerned for our 5 and our 10 and our 15-year-olds that are going to be the future of the church one day. What will that look like? Like when our kids are growing in a culture that is just maxed out to the nth degree of putting the world first, like who will our future pastors be? Who will our future deacons be? Who will our future Sunday school teachers be? Who will our future singers be? The people that are playing the piano and the guitar, like, what will that look like? Young person, if you're in elementary, middle, high school, college, eyes on me. Are you ready? Are you ready to lead God's church and shepherd his people and say hard things in love in the midst of darkness, like, like, do you understand what the church looks like and what you're called to in that? Do you know why we gather? Well, the blessings in that, God tells us. And God tells us way better than, than I would tell you. So I want you to listen to God's word. Why do we do this every single weekend? Why do we get dressed and come right before we go into the work week and the school week and all of our busyness why do we do this thing called corporate worship in a season that will never end? I always joke about that. That's the hardship about church. You can get people to do anything for a short period of time, but if I looked at you and said, hey, listen, um, I want you to work out with me. Well, how long are we going to do this? Forever. We're going to do it forever. It's never going to end. You're like, oh, man, that's a, that's a big requirement. That's a big obligation. I don't know if I can do it forever. Well, that's the hardship in it. But what does God tell us in his good grace and mercy about why this special moment is important to us? 
So listen to God's word. I'm going to read you the first six commandments again because it's connected. And then we're going to jump into this morning's text. So look at verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to continue with 7 through 11. So remember the moment, church. The Israelites are free. They're away from Pharaoh. They are out in the wilderness. They are struggling. They are thirsty. They are tired. They are joyous. They are angry one minute. They are elated one minute. The mountain is on flames. It's covered in smoke. And God says, I'm going to speak to the people. And it says in verse 1, And God spoke all of these things, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. If you got out from highlighting that last week, you got two weeks of an opportunity to do so. Will you highlight that for me? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any carved images, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down, church, to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take my name, the Lord your God, in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now I want you to highlight 8 through 11, please. We're going to read it twice this morning, but just, just follow me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on the seventh day, church, is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, or your female servant, not even your cattle, not even your strangers who's within your gates. What God is doing here, he is really covering all his bases. If he's an eye view, I don't care if it's even an animal. Stop. I love it. I'm not talking about just the men of the home. I'm talking about everything that breathes. Stop. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Will you pray with me please? God, thank you for today and all your blessings. Lord, I pray um, as a leader here that you slow my mind and my heart. Lord, I know that... I love your word and I love teaching it, but I am convicted in this message and the culture that we are in that this is a command and this is a moment that so many struggle in. I have failed and I have struggled and I have really fallen in balancing priorities and family and, and desires and goals and marriages and church. Like I have failed so many times, but Lord, I pray for the families that are in front of me, that they hear words of wisdom. I pray that you remove all agendas and, and views and you just speak through the Holy Spirit that lives within me to help these people. We live in a culture and generation that is drowning. And so, Lord, I just pray that you open ears and minds and hearts to hear your word, to make, make hard decisions for the betterment of the kingdom their families, and themselves. In your precious name, the church says in harmony, amen. 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 Keep it going. Amen. We got nowhere to be. Amen. As I said in my prayer, church, um, I think that so many, and, and I'm not just speaking to young people or young families, and when I say young families, I mean under 50. I don't think it's just a young family issue. I think this is a global, worldwide pandemic of drowning in this idea of what we call life and priorities and responsibilities. I think the high majority of, uh, majority of us are extremely overwhelmed. 
And what we are overwhelmed in, which my mind is blown through, is just is the idea that most of us are struggling in nature in things that are honestly good. And so I sit with countless people. I've sat with people before ministry, during ministry, and today I sit with people about this idea of balancing like children and money and God and, and entertainment and hobbies and desires and goals. And I see people just drowning in their attempt to balance it all. As I said, what blows my mind is that nine out of ten people don't come to my office with like, wicked desires of evilness that the world would deem wicked? I was like, listen, I'm in this affair relationship or I have this addiction of drugs or I'm backwards in money, people are coming after me. That, that's not really what I talk to people most about. Most of the people that are sitting with me in despair, they're drowning in areas of life that are in nature most people would deem as good. And so they're, Hunter, I'm struggling. Who's after you? My children. My children are after me. The same ones that said amen, they're out for me, Hunter. My marriage, my job, my career, what I went to school for, what I prayed for, it's coming after me, my responsibilities. I'm drowning in hobbies. How can you drown in hobbies? But that's what I speak to most people about. Most people are overwhelmed in areas in which they sought after and desired. Grab that one. What most of you are overwhelmed by at one time, you pleaded for. Man, I want freedom, and I want money, and I want a job, and I want children, and I want a wife. I want to be athletic. I want to be popular. I want to be. And now you got it, and you drown in it. It's not drugs or affairs or addiction. It's not those things that are hurting you to the nth degree, even though those are dangerous. The high majority, you're drowning in gifts, in blessings. You're maxed out. Let's slow it down. Like a line of credit, you got no more room. There's not another penny to spend. You're done on things that have actually been given to you to bless you. And so I want you to hang on the formula. As Christians, if you're not a Christian, I'm not speaking to you. As a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And God has blessed believers with good and sweet and amazing things. But what does man do with good things? Man takes good things and he tries to make them great things. And when you take good things and you try to make them great things, they become awful things. You feel me? And so you try to make the gift bigger than the giver. And so we worship our kids. Your kids were never meant to worship. They'll drown you. Money's not evil. Go after it. Provide. Leave an inheritance. Enjoy life. Walk on beaches. But if you make money king, it will destroy you. Some of the most unhappy, dreadful people that I've ever met in my life were some of the financially wealthiest. When you take good things and you make them great things, they will endlessly become awful things. And so that's what we see with our drowning of trying to balance. For the young and middle-aged family, I see a lot of addiction. And I think it's really like ironic because the addiction that you are, are, are drowning in is, like I said, it is something that you actually desired and wanted. This idea of addiction is literally defined as a compulsive, ongoing need for a habit-forming behavior. And so before ministry and during bivocational ministry, I spent a decade doing counseling therapy. So I did family therapy and youth therapy and drug and alcohol therapy. And this is what I want you to hear me. When I sit with young, middle-class, doing-well families, you sound just like drug addicts. And that's not a funny statement. 
Like I've sat with people that are drowning in meth and alcoholism, cocaine addiction and all of those things. I've sat with those people. And if I put you on a room and you in a room, if like the ones that are balancing like kids and career and money are over here and meth over here, and I said, hey, listen, addict, don't say what you're struggling with. Just talk about how you feel. I don't know if you'd be able to tell the difference. You're like, I don't know if that one's high on meth or baseball, right? I can't tell the difference. I hear the same statements out of both. I can't stop. I hear that. I know I'm drowning. I know it. I know I'm maxed out. I know I'm spread thin. It's hurting my marriage. Like, I know. What are you going to do about it? I can't stop. I cannot stop. I'm in too deep. I couldn't function if I did stop. And if I did stop, I'd lose everything. And the drug addict... The one who are addicted to alcohol and the young middle class family just drowning trying to balance it all. I can't tell the difference between the two. They both end up lonely and depressed and broken and stretched thin. But in God's great mercy and grace, he gives us a plan. And this is where I want to slow my words down because I'm an aggressive, bold, fast speaker. And so you know what? You know what your pastor did? I literally wrote down on my paper, slow down. That's how much I love you. Because I know I'm going to run over you if I don't. Slow down for dramatic effect, okay? But in God's great mercy and grace, for the family and the mama and the daddy trying to provide and the coach and the CEO and the farmer, God gives us a plan. He gives us a path. Doesn't this sound good? God gives us a way to enjoy and not burn out. Doesn't that sound nice? Any of you guys feel that? Any of you guys go like, man, I'm just enjoying the gifts of God and I'm, I'm not burning out. Any of you? God gives us a remedy, a plan, a way to work and provide and to strive and not tire out. Doesn't that sound nice? God gives us a plan to balance and not feel guilty. Because I believe, and if you tell me you don't, I would call you a liar. I believe that when a Christian is not placing God first. They know it. And so they're striving after the world, but they feel what in their heart? Guilt. Man, wouldn't it be nice to, to strive and to work and enjoy? Man, you feel no guilt. And in all of His ways, in all of His grace and mercy, He gives us the remedy to run fast, hang on it, and it all hangs on our ability and faithfulness to stop. Our ability to run at a speed we all want to run hangs in the balance of our faithfulness to stop, to cease, to slow down, to regroup, to focus. It was so hard for so many of us to do. I told you we're going to read it twice. I want you to see it again. Look at 8 through 11. For my kiddos, don't lose me. Be in your Bible. Why is church, why is the Lord's day, the Sabbath in the Old Testament, why is this corporate gathering and worship, why do we do it, why is it essential, and why is it important? It says, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. You know what that word holy means? It means separate. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and you shall do all of your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor the stranger who is within your gates. 
For in six days, church, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. He set us the model. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and he made the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he hallowed it. Our speed and stamina to be the faithful mom and husband and employee and father depends on our ability to stop. God calls us in a very fast-paced culture to slow down and cease. But whenever a pastor preaches this sermon, what the mind does in people going, well, Hunter, I mean, we got to have doctors on Sunday. Well, should we just stop everything? Do you want us to come to church Monday through Sunday and have revival every week? Can I not mow the grass, Hunter? Are we supposed to all sit here and hold hands and sing Kumbaya for 14 hours? Is that what you want me to do, Pastor Hunter? That is not what the Bible teaches. God does not hate work. God calls us to it. God does not hate work. He calls us to it. God does not hate money or fun or family. I believe he calls us to it. I believe God smiles upon honest day work. I believe God smiles upon an inheritance. I believe God smiles upon someone being wise and paying off a house early. I believe God smiles upon a father throwing ball with his son and a family walking on the beach. I believe that God smiles on our fireworks and our brotherhood of believers enjoying the moment. God smiles upon the gifts. But remember what we said last week. Anything that is good in nature and even a blessing from God, if it becomes king, it will be a weight around your neck in which it drowns you and anybody you touch. Young family, you hear me? If you start to worship the gift and the blessings, even that are from God, if you make the gifts king, they will drown you and anyone you touch. If I asked you if you were tired or depressed or searching or stretched, many of you would say yes. And if I asked you how and why, I think many of you would name sweet things. Sweet things that are not meant to drown you, but because we have made them king and we refuse to slow down, we refuse to cease, they have drowned us. I want you to take notice. Out of all the commandments, this is the longest. God calls us to this space. Do you know why? Because God knows that man can't balance. He knows this. You're not capable of it. God knows that we have a sinful, addictive heart and personality. I want you to remember the moment of Exodus 20. These people are homeless. They don't have a fraction of your distractions. They don't have a fraction of it. They're homeless, and still God thinks it's important for them to stop. Hear it? He's talking to homeless people in the middle of nowhere, and he goes, stop what you are doing. Why? Because you will burn yourself out. Man, if these people will burn themselves out, what are we doing today? Like, you have opportunity to do something else and worship over God's multiple times a day. Like, if he set these people down and says, guys, once a week, you got to shut it down. you got to refocus. you got to regroup. you got to worship. You have to rest. Man, if you did not do that in 2022, what do you think would happen to you? And so what does he say? Remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. Why do we do this, church? God gave us six days to fulfill our worldly calling and responsibilities. It is not evil. It is not lazy. Go provide. Go enjoy. Travel ball and work is not the enemy. That is not the problem. But on the seventh day, stop. Cease, rest, 
Keep it holy. Keep it separate. You have to regroup and you have to worship with one another. The Sabbath literally means to cease. Did you know that? In the early Greek and Hebrew, that's what the word means. It means to stop. Stop and do what? Remember. Stop and remember. Remember your salvation. Remember that you are slaves no more. Remember God's goodness. Remember God's grace. Be equipped in his word. See his goodness. Be with others. You need it more than you realize it. You need this church, every single one of you, with me in front. You need this church way more than this church needs you. Amen? For my little ones, amen? That was the coolest moment for me. That was really awesome. Leviticus calls the Sabbath a holy convocation. You know what that means? It means corporate worship. That means the church is not your deer stand. The church is not your deer stand. It is not some podcast you like to listen to. It's not you just having like a Bible study on Tuesday with some work folks, which is awesome to do. The church is a corporate gathering of members and believers who love the Lord and love one another and who walk deeply in ministry with one another. See me? That's biblical. That's not me ranting at you. It's not my plea for you to give 10% or come to Sunday school. That's what the words of the Bible say. We need one another. And life is brutal and life is fast. We have to stop. We have to slow down. We have to cease. We have to worship. What Braden, my, my, my brother here, read in Mark 2, it says that the Sabbath was made for man. You see that? So I ask, why do we do this? Well, this is just what good boys and girls do. No. None are good. This is for our good. This is for our good. Man, if you took Hunter Jones, the father and the husband and the friend, out of the church, man, I would drown in hours. In hours. You are not above this. You are not in a space spiritually where you don't need it. Man needs the church. And God knows it. God knows we need to stop, slow down, and cease and come together. If not, we'll drown out of the mouth of Jesus. It was made for man. This is a physical and spiritual restoration for us to continue to run. Do you see that? Physically, we need to stop and rest. Your body and mind can't keep going the way it's going. You're going to burn out. But spiritually, it's the same. Physically, you can't do it. Rest. But spiritually, you can't either. You have to be poured into to pour out of. Life is demanding and it's endless responsibilities. I was telling Jacqueline earlier, your pastor is trying his absolute hardest, and I fail every day. I fail every day, and I'm trying, and I fail daily. Man has to stop. Man has to slow down. Man has to seep. Man has to gaze. Man has to be reminded. Man has to worship. Man has to fellowship. It has to have these things. I love this word. You don't have to flip to it. But in Deuteronomy, it says in 5.15, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there in a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Do you know what he's saying there? He said, listen, you were a slave. You were destined for hell, you and your family, and there was nothing you could do. You can't buy your way out of this one. Only by the grace of God is someone saved. And without God's Spirit, you will even drown in the church. You are blessed. You are guided. You are saved, and you need to be reminded of it. How often? Daily and together weekly. 
Because as we said in Exodus numerous times, if man is not reminded, what will he do? He will forget. He will forget. And so I've heard from so many people, you know that whole adage? I don't care how smart you are in this room or how old. You know that whole adage of, I've just been out of the church for two to three weeks and I just, I just feel like, you know why that is? It's because that's how it's supposed to happen. The Holy Spirit wants this. The Holy Spirit needs this. Your body needs this. It requires this. And God says, I love you guys so much, I'm going to make it a commandment. That one blew my mind this morning just even in the shower. Like I, I had all my notes and that one just hit me. I thought, man, to make it a, a command. He says, don't murder anyone. You're like, well, I, I get that one. That's pretty obvious. You need to be together and worship. You're like, well, that one seems a little bit more serious. I don't know if it is. God says, I know what's going to happen to my children. If you don't slow down, if you don't stop, if you don't cease, if you don't worship, if you don't fellowship, you're going to drown. This command is all based out of his love for his children and his creation. But here's the question. I want us to take a little time. Here's the question that we have to look at. If this is not debatable... Like, if you believe that you have me on something like why the church is important, we have other sermons that you need to listen to. But if you go, Hunter, I know. I know. Why is it so hard to do this? Like, why is it so hard for man to stop? Why is it so hard for man to cease? And why is it so hard for man just to just take a small portion and worship together? Why is it so hard? Well, the truth is, there's probably a lot of reasons, and you might have some better than mine, but this is two of them that I want to pour into you. One, I think we're ridiculously scared. Because this is what happens in man's life. Let me get this chair right quick and not have you fall out of it, little man. This is what happens with man. When man is told to sit down, young, old, does not matter who you are, when man is told to sit, there's two feelings that come through our body. And one is, well, hey, I'm doing so well. Like I'm number one, I'm in the lead. And so if I stop and if I slow down, what's going to happen? They're going to pass me. They're going to catch up. My kid is not going to be the most athletic anymore. He's going to be second. He's going to be third. I might not get the promotion. If I don't say yes to everything my employer asked me to do, someone else will, and they're going to pass me over, right? And we sit here, and we go, man, if I stop, and I slow down, and I cease, and I start putting this as God in priority, I'm going to get left behind, and nobody likes second, third, and fourth, right? So i got to keep pushing. And so maybe you're first in life, and you're too scared to stop because that's what's going to happen to you. But not just that. Maybe you're not first. Maybe you're third, fourth, fifth. Maybe you're sixth. And you go, Hunter, I'm already behind. I'm already not the richest. My kid is just a fraction away from all stars. I don't have the money that I want. My house is not what I, what I desire. Like, I don't have those things. So, Hunter, I'm already sixth in line. Like, if I don't push with everything I have, like, I'm going to blink and I'm going to be tenth. And, man, if I thought sixth was bad, how awful would tenth be? So why don't we take this seriously? Why don't we care? Because I think we're scared to death. And I want you to see this scripture, and I don't want you to just to hear me. I want you to read it. We're going to slow down for it. Go to Matthew 16. <clears throat> what if I'm second? What if they pass me? What if I'm tenth? You know, this is a good lesson for even my young ones. Man, the earlier you can understand this, the more it will bless your soul and the, more, the least amount of damage you'll cause, okay? Look at Matthew 16, 24. Matthew 16, 24. For all of my people that are striving to stay number one, 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Man, hang on it, church. Please hang on it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the entire world, if he, if he finishes first? If he finishes first and he loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Guys, keep the gifts of God's good. Make them good. Keep them good. Enjoy them well. But do not make them king. Make the giver king. You're ceasing. And this is where I want to encourage you because I think it's so hard for us. It's so hard for me. Still today. Your ability to invest in the kingdom more than this world shows your wisdom and the strength of the spirit that lives within you. I know that it is hard, and I know that it is not attractive all the time to be an alien, to say no when you need to say no, and say yes when you need to say yes. I know that, but it shows our wisdom. And so one, why does man have a hard time ceasing and stopping? Well, simply one, I, I think that we're scared to do so. And then two, our sinful nature and hearts oftentimes just want the world more than the kingdom. The truth is, if you took what the world was serving for dinner in the church, I think that we'd rather eat in the world. And so as a pastor, and I think Sunday school teachers feel this, and deacons, and praise team worships, and missionaries, I used to be really offended by it. Because, you know, I think this church is awesome. I think we have problems and issues, and I think we have a lot of flaws, and we are by no stretch of the means the model but I think that you belong to a phenomenal, awesome church. And when people would put the world ahead of this church, I would take it personally. Because I know where you're at, I know what you're doing, and at times I'd be like, man, listen, this is really the church you always wanted. The older population loves the younger population, the younger population loves the older population, we're supporting each other, we're encouraging each other, we're encouraging ministries, we have little kids running down the hallways. We have little kids in harmony saying amen. Like, this is the church you wanted. And you still run after the world. And so you spend a lifetime complaining about the church. Like, well, the reason we don't love the church is... Now you got it and you still run from them for dinner. And so I took it personally. Kind of still do. But here's something that we need to remember as leaders and faithful, every time the doors open, believers that understand the commands of God when it comes to coming together, is this was happening way before the congregational gathering of believers. This happened in the garden. Adam and Eve were physically walking with God, and they still chose the world. Like anytime I think that I'm just such a phenomenal pastor and why don't you love me and want to be here and you know how great our Sunday school teachers are and our praise team and our youth, they had God with them. You know how much greater God is than any pastor? And still they said, man, I think that dinner looks better over there. Man has always wanted the world. Man has always wanted the world. We will always be tempted to choose the world and to dine with it. And in the garden, God has this moment where he steps into man and he says, what are you doing? What are you doing? What have you done? James 4.4 4 says, you adulterous people. I love how that's stated. You adulterous people. Like, why are you placing things in spaces that do not belong? Do you not know that a friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Hear me? Do you not know that a friendship with the world is hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When we don't keep this gathering in God's command in Jesus King separate and holy, we basically start to look like the world. 
There's a moment that we have been freed, we have been saved by grace, we have placed our faith and trust, and we keep running back towards our slave masters. If you look at the Israelites, guys, that is something that they constantly do. They have been freed, but they keep running back to slavery. Man will always be tempted in this way. So we start to wrap up. I was thinking to myself, because I'm very convicted on this subject and this message, and because it's close to home and because I have a desire for my young families to, to not tell their, their learning lessons when they're 70 and 80, but for them to do it now faithfully, I said, I want to get out of sermon mode and I want to pour in four points that I hope are applicable encouragements. So like I said, for, for, my, for my parents and my young ones, I, I want you to hear me. There's going to be four points I want to pour into you. I want you to have a pen in your hand. I, you don't have to love them or even agree with them, but I want you to hear them and digest them, okay? The first thing that I would encourage you to do is establish non-negotiables. Establish non-negotiables. Life happens. We have that in our covenant. People have bad days. People have flat tires. You get the flu. People go on vacations. There's moments as families. You have family over. You're trapped. I understand that. You're not going to heaven based off your church attendance. We all understand that. However, there is something very powerful and healthy about having family and individual non-negotiables in your home. This time and this space is reserved for this. And so when you go to like a special event, get my chair back out. When you go to a special event, there's a VIP section sometimes if it's special. And they go, hey, listen, you can come in and sit. You can sit. You're welcomed here. But these three rows, you can't sit here, right? VIP. Very important people. But for the church, it's not very important people. It's, it's a very important place. And so what happens in a very important place when you don't have the seats marked off? What happens when you say, hey, listen, it's open for whoever wants to sit? What will happen? Someone will always sit in those seats. And so for like a young person trying to protect their purity, if you don't establish protection and non-negotiables, what's the outcome going to be? Hey, parent, hang with me. Don't lose me. If your young daughter comes to you and says, I'm getting older. I'm going to start dating. I found a guy. I'm 19, 20. I'm looking for a man. I'm thinking about marriage. Well, let me talk to you about some hard things, about what the Bible talks about being in those relationships. And what if your daughter says, hey, listen, I'm kind of open for all of it. Like, maybe I hope it doesn't happen, but I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to tell him that. Like, what's the outcome going to be for your daughter? She's going to get taken advantage of. Someone's sitting in that seat. And so for a family, you need to have non-negotiables where you go, hey, listen, bad things happen. We are tired. We are traveling. We understand all of those things. But for me and my family, this is what we do, Right? We establish protection. I think for so many of our families, you're not against the church. You just crack the door and the world ran through it. Don't crack the door. This moment was made for this. Be faithful to it. Establish non-negotiables too. A God-first lifestyle. Like many aspects of our life, the Lord's day has become secondary. And so for so many of our people, we've gotten into the space of, hey, listen, I'll be there as long as dot, 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 dot. Hey, like Hunter, like, like if I don't have an opportunity to make more money, if there's not a tournament or a pageant, count on me. Now, you know how disrespectful that is? Like, hear my words. Like, if it's disrespectful to me, like how disrespectful is it to the Lord? Age and circumstances do not alter God's commands. Young person, hear me. And so even like the faithful, like how they respond to this is foolish. And so what do we say? We look at parents and we go, hey, he's five years old. We say this. 
He's five years old. What are you doing? Well, does it matter if he's five? You have like an age limit? We're like, hey, listen, if you're going to sell out, at least wait till you're 15. Like, don't do it when he's five. You know, that, that there's that verse in Leviticus where he goes, hey, listen, you know what? It's okay if your kid is super athletic. No. No. Non-negotiables. Or what will we say? We'll look at somebody and we'll go, hey, Wendy, your child is not going to be Tom Brady. He's not. We all say this, don't we? It's at the top of the list of foolishness. He's not going to be Tom Brady. Stop investing everything you have and all your desires and all your time. You're missing church. He's in Huntington, Tennessee. He has a better chance of being hit by lightning twice on the same day. Wake up. It's an awful argument. Because what you're actually saying is, hey, listen, um, if he was going to be Tom Brady, then it's all good. I don't care if your kid is 18 or if he is the next Michael Jordan. God's commandments don't change. God's commandments do not change. Slow down. I need this. We need this. He deserves this. It's essential. Three, have the courage to say no. Have the courage. I think this is probably the hardest one. This is the hardest one. Have the courage to say, no, listen to me, young family. At some point in your life, you're going to have to say no to something. Like something. You have basically cracked the door to everything underneath the sun. That is why you're drowning. Your issue is not with your boss, not with your job, not with your health, not with your friends, not with your balting, none of the things. It's you. At some point, you're going to have to say no. And he goes back to the seat in the example of the purity that we want for our kids. I think most of the time, we say yes to things, not because we actually want them, but we're so scared of what's going to happen if we say no to them. Like, if I say no to her, she's going to leave me. Well, if that's the case, they never wanted you. And so I hear it from parents all the time. If I don't say yes to all of these things, they're not going to play them. They're not going to play them. But what's going to happen? I'm not going to get the promotion. I won't fit into the Carroll County Popularity Club. They're not going to fight me over for Bunko. I don't really care. I want to be in church. I want to be involved. I don't want to say yes, but I'm so scared to death that they're going to leave me if I do. Listen, I have sat with so many. I have sat with so many older versions than your children. Mom and dad, listen to me. This does not end with them honoring you. These are hard words, and I know it's a long message. I've sat with the older version of your kids. This story does not end with them being 30 and 40 saying, I'm really thankful my parents took me out of church. I'm really sorry. You can be mad at me all you want. It doesn't end that way. It doesn't end that way. It always ends with, you know, looking back on it, I wish they said no when we need to say no. At some point, you're going to have to say no. When everyone is saying yes, and you were in first, and now you're in third, and you were in fifth, and now you're in ninth. Invest in the kingdom. Invest in the kingdom. They will not remember this weekend's tournament or pageant, but they will remember when Dad said no. I promise you. I promise you. We're just so scared to death. And I'm not judging you because I know it's hard. Invest in the long term. Which is the last point. Do not judge. Show grace to the people around you. Understand, guys, at all costs, we have to guard against legalism. Your attendance to this church is not giving you any type of foothold in glory. 
There's going to be many people who burned in hell that never missed Sunday school and gave 11%. Do you understand me? So it's hard to balance this. It's hard to be like, I'm going to be here every time the door is open and not judge those that are not. Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. We are saved by what he has done, what he accomplished in his good nature and grace. And so you are never called to come up to somebody else and go, "Uh, hey, Cunningham, where were you on Sunday? Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Don't ever say never. Do you know why? I've seen good people fall, and I am no better than. My family could fall in the blink of an eye. I am not the model. I am not, I have not overcome. I am not above. I could fall faster than you. And so our job as believers is to come beside people and walk with them and love them, not to judge them and be self-righteous against them. Now understand, if my child came home addicted, please hear me. If my child came home addicted, there's a few things that I'm doing as a father. And I'm addressing the issue. I'm pleading with them. But at some point, I'm going after the drug dealer. But it's not everybody's job to go after the drug dealer. So, yes, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a leader, if you're a deacon, if the praise team counts on you, if you're a leader in this church, then yes, some words are going to be spoken. But our job is not to step in those spaces and pour judgment and self-righteousness onto people. All of us fall short of the glory of God, and we all need His grace and mercy. We have to guard ourselves against the mindset of, because I am present, I am good or saved. We are all in this together. And so we're going to end with our Lord's Supper, and as I call my praise team up, I want you to see it. I want you to see it because I thought this was a really cool connection to everything that we're doing. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 11. You can just throw the chair down, brother. Go to 1 Corinthians 11. And so the reason I thought this was really neat is because it shows us the importance of gathering and it shows us what we miss when we're not and It shows us also how it can be done poorly, but then also how it should be done and the blessings of why God calls us to it. So I just want you to see this story as it it plays out, okay? In God's Word, starting in 17, it says, Now in giving these instructions, I don't praise you. Since coming together... Not for the better, but for the worse. So he says, man, you're following the commands. You're coming together. This is that legalism I was talking about. This is not the church. This is not what God desires. This is not what God commands us. He goes, man, you show up in your Sunday best, but it's not anything that I would commend you for. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be fractions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. That's not what you're doing, Paul says. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the other, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Exclamation point. What are you doing, Paul is saying? Do you not have a house to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God so much and shame those who have nothing What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So I want you to see that, church. You know, the people here are hearing the message that I preached today. And they said, man, I need to be there. My kids need to be there. We need to say no to everything. We'll never miss a Sunday. We're there Wednesday night. We're there Sunday morning. We're at Sunday school. I give 12%. We always help with the fireworks show. I am always present. And Paul looks at these people and goes, man, you're, you're present, but you're even wickeder when you are absent. That's not what I call you to. So this is where we go into the blessing of our gathering. What God calls us to in remembering His goodness. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So before we go into prayer and take the bread, I want you to see the blessings of why God calls us here. In the midst of the hardship of parenting and balancing money and bills and responsibilities and being a wife and a husband and a coach and a friend and an employee and a teacher, like life is not going to slow down for you. So God calls us to this space to be reminded of God's goodness and the grace of his son and the blood that was shed. Because if you are going to run fast in those areas that you want to run fast in, you're going to have to stop and see it. You're going to have to cease. You're going to have to slow down. You're going to have to rest. You're going to have to gather. You're going to have to worship. You're going to have to do it. And so what Paul says is, it's not about attendance. It's about genuineness. It's about authenticity of your focus on the gospel. So we're going to bow our heads here. My brother Brent here, he's going to pray for us. They're going to sing. I want you to pray while... Well, they're going to sing first, and then he's going to pray. While they're singing, I want you to pray. If you are still putting other things ahead of the Lord, if you have made the gifts great, which have made them awful, if you are overwhelmed, it is not complicated. Make Jesus king. Make Jesus king. Follow his commands. Slow down and gaze at his goodness. Let's bow our heads, and the praise team are going to lead us in a song.
As we take the element of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of our Jesus, the body that was broken for our behalf, the body that lived in sinless perfection so that in his death we could stand before a holy God with a perfect and righteous substitute, our Jesus loved us so much to die on the cross and be crushed by the Father. We say, bless the name of Jesus as we take the bread. It continues in 1 Corinthians where it says, Therefore, eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. You'll be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who drinks and eats in an unworthy manner, he eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many of you are weak, and many of you are sick among you, and many of you sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So the one thing I want to encourage you with before we take the juice here is that I said earlier, I have fallen in every way. I have chased every idol. I have worshipped every God. I have made every bad decision. And only by the grace of God can I still profess anything good in my life. By His Spirit who fills me and the church that surrounds me, this is what fulfills is that we are in love with the Lord, we are led by His Spirit, we are saved by His blood. And even though we know this to be true, and even though we've read these words, and even though you have drank this juice many times, why are we called together, kids? Why do we do this? Because we have to be reminded. Even though I know this and I have preached this, I will forget this. In the midst of running, in the midst of striving, in the midst of battling, in the midst of seeking, I will forget. And so why do we come to church? And why do we gather? It is for God's glory. It is for our good. And it is for our ministry. This is good for us to remember. Man, every day blesses us. Every time we hear of God, the Lord's body and the blood that was shed for you and I, Man, that fulfills me to run even faster. It is our gas. It is our gas. So with the cups held high, we partake in the remembrance of the blood that was shed for you and I. The only thing that saves us, our great substitute, there will be a day I stand before God and God does not see all of my idols. God will not see all of the false gods that I've ran after. He will not see all of my mistakes. He will not see all of my failure. He will not see and recognize that I am unworthy. He will not see that I am destined for hell. He will see one thing, and that overshadows me, and that is Jesus Christ, his son. The blameless lamb that the blood was shed for you and I, he will see Jesus, and he will say, welcome. And this is the good news. We partake in the juice. As we close, I sat down, and my, my, my son looked at me, and he was like, hey, man, we got, we got the fourth tomorrow. You got to hurry this up. Listen to me. I know it was a long one. And if you're a visitor, it's probably even longer. I think, honestly, on this topic, guys, not of church attendance, but keeping Jesus king and false idols and gods in our life, I think we need to stay here all day. I think this is really drowning so many young people and so many people today. we got to be reminded of this. Got to be reminded of this. Go back and listen again. Make non-negotiables. Rush the stage if you want to. It's all good. Make non-negotiables. Make non-negotiables. Say no when people need to say no. Don't judge others. Don't judge others. Show them grace. Walk beside them and along them. If you have any questions about the church, membership, if you're touched by this and you want to speak or pray with somebody, we'd love to pray with you. Go ahead and stand with me. Hey, London, come on up, buddy. My, my son London here, he's going to pray us out. And, you know, talking, hey, for my parents, I know i got a lot of thoughts today. But for my parents, you know, one thing I wanted to make sure I mentioned, talking about our kids and what they want and what they desire. Man, seeing Josh Pruitt and his son and Chad Edwards and his son Doing the giving, 
Hey, guys, that will be remembered. That is how you walk with children. That is how you teach children, by serving the church and hearing his word, blessing those around him, discipling them in that. That is what your kids need. That's what they will honor. That's what they will walk in. So let's bow our heads, and London's going to pray us out. Thank you, God, for this word for this day. I want to pray that we can have a good rest of our day, and I want to pray that we can have a good 4th of July, and we can celebrate with our families. And I want to pray that we can have a safe travel to New York and back, and have a good time in there, and tell people about God and Christ and Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Mm-hmm.